1111 Talk Radio. Your host is Simron. It's time to discover your own language with the universe. Empower yourself, broaden your mind, open your heart, and discover who you are. Now, here's your host, Simron. Why do you care? Have you ever thought about your intentions, your interests, whatever captivates your heart and soul? Why do you care about your education, your health, your family, friends, your career, your love life, or lack of one? Why do you care about global warming, literacy, abortion rights, gun control? Why do you care about people dying of famine across the ocean? Why do you care that children you've never met are abused and mistreated? Why do you empathize with women or men whose names you don't know? Why do you spend so much time thinking about people, people you like, people you don't like, wish you knew, or wish you didn't? Why do you keep trying to make your relationships work? Why do you get out of bed every day, put your clothes on, and walk out the door open to discovery or bound to routine? Why do you dream? Why do you keep hoping? Why do you get it wrong? Why do you keep trying anyway? You must have your reasons. There must be a point. Our lives can't depend solely on inherited obligations and prescribed responsibilities. Our stories meet with others, stories in ways we may not consciously realize. Their purposes and meanings relate to our desire and intentions and point to the reasons we care, the grounds for our longing to connect and understand. This is from the book, The Revelations of Asher Toward Supreme Love in Self by Janine Staples, Dr. Janine Staples. She is an associate professor of literacy and language, African-American studies, and women's gender and sexuality studies at the Pennsylvania State University. She focuses on dismantling supremist patriarchies through research, teaching, and coaching. As a sociocultural literacist, Dr. Staples works to understand personal and public voices and stories to solve personal and public problems. She does this by researching the evolutionary nature and function of literacies and texts through the discourses of narrative research. I've been diving into her book over the past week, The Revelations of Asher, Towards Supreme Love in Self, and it's a vital conversation right now, vital in the sense that for us to understand one another, for us to understand our similarities and our differences, for us to move beyond any racial discriminations, or gender discriminations. We must be willing to see, know, and understand one another. We must be willing to embrace the stories, the voices, and the languages that surround us. So this is an invitation to look at what Dr. Janine Staples has put in to this beautiful book. It is an endarkened feminist. She's an endarkened feminist with New Literacies event critically and creatively exploring black women's terror in love. It's filled with poetry, prose, and analytic memos, and she shows how a group of black women's talk and writings about relationships revealed epistemological and ontological revelations after 9-11. Without further ado, welcome, Janine, to 1111 Talk Radio. Thank you so much, Simran, for that wonderful introduction. I really appreciate your comments, and it's really great to be here. This is a really incredible book because, and, and, I, and I realize that it comes from the stories and the conversations and the research based around black women and, and the love languages and the love identities and, and things that you talk about through the book. But as I was going through it, what kept striking out to me is how vital a conversation this is 
not just for black women, but for all women. And it's also Mm -hmm. a vital conversation for men. And so I want to start right there as to um, what prompted you sharing these voices and these stories and the level of research that's involved so that individuals understand the basis of this book first. Those are great questions. So what prompted me um, to embark upon the research um, of the terror narratives of girls and women um, was 9-11 as a big meta-sociocultural event that took place now, gosh, nearly two decades ago. I mean, we're going up on like 16 or 17 years ago. Um, That event was a tipping point in my consciousness as a citizen. Uh, It was a tipping point in my consciousness as a person of color, as a black woman specifically. Um, And it spurred me on, inspired me to look at the ways that stories, um, narrative accounts of lived experiences and identities bubble up to the surface around really major cataclysmic events. Um, What you... Well, I don't know, maybe a lot of your reader listeners will remember is that right around 9-11 after the event um, unfolded, there were lots of stories in media landscapes um, that depicted the lives of black and brown girls and women all over the place, sub-Saharan Africa, in Afghanistan, um, and in the Middle East. And those stories were really rich. They were incredibly violent, uh, vibrant. Um, some of them actually were violent. Many of them were, actually. Um, and they captivated my attention. What I wanted to do was sort of figure out how to anchor myself in the history that was developing. And I found that attaching myself to women's stories and girls' stories of their identity and their lived experiences was a way for me to hold myself grounded in a really, really tenuous time. So that's the long, the short story of how I came to focus on um, the narratives, uh, uh, basically the terror narratives of girls and women. Um, It was because 9-11 set me into a spin. Now, as you go through the book, there are different names that are being used, and they are to identify a set of seven fragmented selves or or five, what you call five toxic and reactionary lover identities. Um, I want to go into a little bit of what you mean by lover identity so that we can create a context in terms of how these different identities show up and how they exist within all of us, really. They definitely existed here in the study and in the black women that you talked about. But as I was reading, these archetypes almost would be individual archetypes that exist within all of us as well. So -hmm. talk a little bit about how you went through the naming and what you mean by the lover identity. Well, I'll start with the fragmented selves, um, sort of the quickest and most efficient way to understand Um, And the way that I break this down is it's helpful to think about interior life and exterior life. Now, your interior life is um, composed of your inner thoughts, um, your feelings. Um, There you'll find your intergenerational inheritance. Um, You'll find your mother's stories, your grandmother's stories, your babysitter's stories, those lots of um, information spinning in your interior life. And nobody's privy to that but you. Nobody's privy to mine but me. What I tell women is that the fragmented cells comprise um, 
your interior life. They form the composition of your interiority. I named them uh, based on biblical references that correspond to their energetic representation. So Asher, um, for whom the book is named, is a fragmented self um, named after the tribe of Asher, which came from um, the tribe of Levi, which were um, rabbinical priests. They were high priests in um, ancient times. And I chose the name Asher because it was the name of a very learned tribe, and Asher as a fragment itself represents the energy of inquiry, investigation, research. She's, asked, she's the one asking questions. She's forging the path for the other fragmented selves. Um, she's a cognitive center and an anchor. Um, another fragmented self, um, whom I call Sash, is an energetic representation in the interior life of a woman that signifies rage and anger. She binds things together. Um, she splinters. She suffocates. Um, and so I felt the name Sash was appropriate for her. Um, Another name um, of a fragmented self is Maven, M-A-V-E-N. I named that energetic core in the interior life of a woman um, as such because Maven stands for mother, um, and it also stands for um, leader. Um, and Maven is the energetic core that represents our maternal voices, the composition of your mom's voice, your grandmother's voice, your auntie's voice, your teachers' voices um, that guide you in um, instruction. They're often accusatory voices. They can be judgmental voices. And Maven gets her name um, because of that role that she plays in your interior life. She bears a lot of history. She is the Maven of the interior. So each of the seven fragmented cells were named um, because of what they represent and how they function in the form of the interior space of a woman. Um, and it's important to know that if you move from the interior to the exterior life, um, from a space where <clears throat> I cannot observe your interior life to a space where I absolutely can observe your exterior life, what I say is your fragmented selves live in your interior life, only you know them, how they're organized, who's up front, who's being leader, who's falling behind and underdeveloped. But your exterior life is where you play out your lover identity. The lover identities are performances, and they are observable performances. I can see your lover identity. It's the way that you move in the world. So the fragmented cells in the interior life of a woman, the way the theory goes, um, form conglomerates of energetic force, and they come to bear in performance of the lover identity that you see. So the lover identity is, is about how you're performing in your exterior life. Your fragmented cells are... Um, the composite forces in your interior life. And so when we are in these fragmented selves and these these lover identities are showing up, they are impacting our relationships. They're impacting uh, the environments around us, our families. We are coming out in a certain way. And typically are these identities unconscious or conscious? Mainly unconscious um, for a great um, sort of phase of life 
uh, we are generating our fragmented selves. Um, we basically are functioning in a fractured sense because of the ways we're socialized as girls and women, um, because we are because of the ways we learn to disassociate from ourselves, to not know our own names, our own capacity, our own strength, our own power without someone else ascribing that power or strength or prescribing us a course of action. So it's mainly unconscious, those fragments itself. Um, like there are many parts of a woman, when I start to study interior life through the terror narratives that I collect, um, there are parts of a woman she doesn't even know, she doesn't recognize. I can see them in the terror narratives that she produces. Um, for example, Sash, the fragments itself that represents rage and warmongering, she's very angry, she's visceral, she's often profane. So many of us as girls and women are socialized to fear our rage that we don't know that part of ourselves. That part of ourselves is foreign to us, very unconscious. Um, and so a big part of the work that I do is um, in supporting the disruption of unconsciousness um, by cultivating what I call um, a personal liberation project. It's to actually undo the bondage, the colonization of consciousness that comes from the ways we're brought up as girls. Now, you go into another type of identity, which you call the supreme lover identity. Is this yeah. also a fragmented side, or is this more of a healing aspect? Nope, but there's nothing fragmented about a supreme lover. The supreme lover identity, what I say in the book, is the lover identity we get to aspire to. The supreme lover identity is one you get to build consciously. You get to construct it brick by brick. Um, establishing a personal liberation project is what causes the lover identity to come to life. Um, and what happens with the supreme, the cultivation of a supreme lover identity is that the fragmented, wounded, disowned, orphan parts of a woman from the inside get to be reordered, um, healed, um, remembered uh, and just refashioned, re-energized with truth and with wisdom, with an organic power that we get to generate on our own and in a conscious circling of sisters. Um, and so a supreme lover identity, what I say is that that lover identity subsumes all toxic reactionary lover identities. So as they are moving into understanding what these lover identities are, which are demonstrated by the fragmented selves, and you name them, you, you call them main chick, side chick, Bonnie, bitch, and victim, and describe what those go into. Um, this allows more of a crippled and, and toxic and disease type of expression in the world. But when we embrace the supreme lover identity and we aspire and apply to move towards that expression, what is actually shifting? Say that last part. What is what? What is actually shifting? What is being embodied uh, yeah. in a different way by these women so that they, they move from one of these other lover identities into more of a supreme lover identity? That's a great question. So what's actually shifting is um, the dis-ease, disorder, and dismemberment of a woman's interior life. Um, as I stated, the ways that we're socialized, we're socialized to mute certain parts of ourselves that we feel are unfavorable, um, that are inadequate, um, that are not desirable. So what a supreme lover identity does is it creates this illumination in the interior life, and it's about a radical inclusion of everything that we find in the interiority of a woman. So a woman gets to hear 
the fragmented, disowned, wounded parts of ourselves complain, argue, protest, revolt, um, curse, bind, um, weep, mourn, and she gets to practice what it means to hold herself, to honor herself, to respect herself, to agree with herself at all costs to learn to listen to herself without judgment, without criticisms, without condemnation, and actually do acceptance, a renaming, a reorientation, so that we are able to subsume our whole self. What I say um, in the project, the Supreme Love Project, is in your patience possess you your whole soul. That is everything in your interior life, from your somatic space, which is your physical pain, where you bear your memory, to your conscious cognitive space, which is where you do your meaning-making, you get to, as a supreme lover, just take in all parts of yourself um, in this way of falling in love that I don't know anyone has ever taught. Um, And, of, of course, there are gurus from all parts of the earth who do some part of this work, Um, What I found in the supreme lover identity, the cultivation of that lover identity, is that it is so radical, it is so complete in the taking up of all fragmented, disowned, wounded parts um, in the soul and the soma that it is really indisputable by the time the, the lover identity is established. When a woman decides to let go of her toxic reactionary lover identity as either a main chick a side chick, a bonnie, a bitch, or a victim, really relinquish those trauma bonds and come up in her consciousness, really, really wake up and learn to love herself supremely, there's just no stopping her. It, it's, it's, it's a powerful, transformative process, and it's hard, and it is not easy, and it takes time. It's just so worth it. It's worth everything. The Revelations of Asher. Janine Staples examines black women's terror in love and life by explicitly and necessarily focusing on talk and writing. She presents these women's voices and stories by conceptualizing a deeper understanding of love as central to the work of social and emotional justice. Janine also not only writes about the act of loving, but she writes about the responsibility of being and becoming a lover developing a lover identity and how this mindful development is an integral part of consciousness raising for the individual and liberation of all. She does this by examining relational terror. Her nuancing of the data-rich stories of a group of black women reveals how emotional, psychological, and physical terrors get inscribed into our bodies and into our hearts and minds. She goes on further to show how such terrors lodged in these places of our personhood are reproduced socially, politically, and culturally. Her focus on romantic love and terror then pushes us to a place of fear, a place where we fear naming how supremacist patriarchal ideologies and enactments cripple our existence. You can find out more about Dr. Janine Staples at janinestaples.com. Again, the book is The Revelations of Asher, and we'll be right back after these messages. Making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Have you seen 1111? Do you wonder why certain numbers keep showing up in your life? 11, 111, 22, 33, 444. 
people all over the world are seeing 1111 and learning the language of universal communication. Subscribe to 1111 Magazine today, 1111mag.com. 1111 Magazine is a bi-monthly online publication that offers a rich, multi-sensory experience. Engage with experts in topics of consciousness. Become enlightened, empowered, and energized so you live a passionate and authentic life of conscious choices. 1111 Magazine, a daily staple for lifting the mindset, expanding the heart, and experiencing greater aliveness. 1111 Magazine. Order now at www.1111mag.com. 1111mag.com. Do you want more out of life? Tired of settling in relationships, your career, health, or finances? Want to experience greater aliveness? I am Simran. I support people in listening to their conversations with the universe, the guiding signs, symbols, and synchronicity. I mentor people to anchor in trust, love, and confidence to live their heart's desires. Let me guide you in embracing the challenges and the obstacles so you embody and integrate the gifts they bring. No more human doing. You are here for being, bounteously and abundantly. Experience your soul's natural rhythm, your powerful essence. Don't shrink back any longer. Release the struggle. Learn how to let go. Create in different dimensions. Transform separateness, grief, anxiety, anger, and chaos into living your destiny. Connect with me at IamSimran.com. Live more freely, spontaneously, and joyfully. Don't conform. Live a life of courage. Let's start now. Through my online courses, mentoring programs, or one-on-one coaching, it's time to change your world. Connect at IamSimran.com. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to 1111 Talk Radio. Simron is an award-winning author, publisher of 1111 Magazine, powerful speaker of wisdom, and a life mentor. Find out more at IamSimron.com. Now, back to 1111 Talk Radio. Welcome back. The brand new issue of 1111 Magazine is out now, so you can definitely access that free at any time at 1111mag.com. I am also creating 1111 Magazine on audio, and it is a powerful look back through many of the greatest articles, a lot of the change agents, in addition to meditations, intention statements, and life coaching on a monthly basis. If you're interested in receiving a sample of that, just text 1111 to 443-641-1110. That's 443-641-1110. And you can text 1111 to that and get a sample month to experience. My guest today is Dr. Janine Staples, and she has written a book entitled The Revelations of Asher. And we are talking about the lover identities and fragmented selves and how to aspire toward the supreme lover. Dr. Janine Staples is an associate professor of literacy and language and and African-American studies at the Pennsylvania State University. She's a board member of the Africana Research Center, 
and was named a research fellow of the Social Science Research Institute Children, Youth, and Family Consortium. Dr. Staples earned her degree at the University of Pennsylvania, and she was given the Ralph C. Preston Award for Scholarship in Teaching and Literacy Research in the Service of Social Justice. You can find out more about her at JanineStaples.com. Her uh, events are listed there in addition to all of her services as a scholar, educator, and coach. So definitely check her out. Again, a short passage from the Revelations of Asher. A supreme lover cannot avoid the possibilities of being hurt, disappointed, disheartened, and or disillusioned. She can practice availability. She can learn to become emotionally, mentally, spiritually, and physically available to acknowledge and deeply empathize with the gamut of human experiences, rejecting nothing. Welcome back, uh, Janine. I want to talk a little bit about this piece because so often when individuals are in that place where they're wanting to heal and aspire to being the greatest versions of themselves, they think that that version means that there's no more hurt, that there's no more pain, that there's nothing else that's ever going to rock their world. So dive a little deeper into that passage that I just um, read from your book and talk about how those possibilities of disappointment, disheartenment, disillusionment um, are embraced differently by a supreme lover. Oh, absolutely. Thank you so much for your readings. By the way, you, you you read the book beautifully. I really like listening to you read the passages. One of the things that I say to the Supremes in the project is a Supreme lover is masterful. She's not missing, though. She's in shalom, which is nothing missing, nothing broken. And that means she is masterful about the gamut of human experiences, as I said, rejecting nothing. Um, to practice a supreme lover identity does not mean that one is devoid of pain. It means that one is devoid of suffering. So pain, suffering is the conglomerate, um, the conglomeration of pain so that there is no end, no interruption, no learning. It's just this huge cycle of abuse that takes us to dev- devolution where we just go down into a pit. And suffering is not necessary. Pain is necessary, though. We need pain to tear old muscles um, to regenerate them again and patch up new um, compositions of our strength. We need pain to learn the variation of experience, um, to understand what it means to compare and contrast, to rank, um, to juxtapose um, our understanding. And so it's a differentiating factor. And what a Supreme Lover gets to do is be masterful of lived, be a master of lived experiences, um, and also learn to develop um, a real palette for pain, a real palette for experience, such that we have a great understanding of what it means um, to experience the mixture. There is often a symbiotic relationship between um, you know these different facets of life. There is you know salty and sweet, for example. There are yin and yang, and there are ways that we can grow in wisdoms by embracing all that we get to experience, everything there is, and searching for the connection, the connective tissue between everything that there is. That's how we actually get smarter. One of the things I say to people who talk to me about self-love um, is I say, you know, I don't talk about self-love in the project. I talk about supreme love because supreme love makes you smarter. Self-love doesn't necessarily make you smarter at all. Um, but to be a supreme lover would just be masterful um, around experience and identity. What is the, the the primary distinction that you see between supreme love and self love? 
is there a, a distinction in terms of the direction that that love is channeled or the bandwidth that that love encompasses? Yeah, it's about bandwidth often. What I say is self-love um, is to me um, shallow and backwards. And what that means is it doesn't go deep enough um, into um, really cauterizing consciousness um, and decolonizing consciousness. Self-love doesn't have roots that deep. Um, and that's why it's shallow, in my opinion. I also say that it's backward because although I don't, I have no contempt for self-love. I think that it's fine. I think that it's basically practiced out of order. Self-love is really what we get to do when we're healed um, inside, when we are probably properly ordered and we have full membership. Self-love is what we do when we practice self-care, when we say those you know, really sweet, positive affirmations or when we go get a manicure or a pedicure or, um, you know, when we beautify ourselves um, or when we say nice, kind things about ourselves, we sort of channel our self-talk. Those are self-love practices. However, they're backward to the extent that they cannot reasonably be applied to a sick soul. It's like putting beautiful clothes on a corpse. Um, it's it's really a codependent no, behavior then if you're doing it prior to being heal and hold because absolutely. you're kind of, yes, yes, I get what you're saying. I, I want to get the distinction of one other thing. You talked about pain's necessity and, um, and you used the word terror earlier. Is there a distinction then between uh, the pain's use for growth and terror in its existence as in reference to your book? Oh, sure. You're asking about the difference in terms? Yes, yes. Just so that individuals understand when you're talking about the the terrors related to love or identity as opposed to pain, or is there a distinction sure. there? There is a distinction. I think of pain as an acute um, sort of pulsation of a grievance. And so pain is what you feel when if someone stabs you with a knife. It's an acute sharp, um, distinct pain, um, or distinct feeling, um, somatic feeling. Um, it could also be an, tied to an emotional feeling. Terrors, though, relational and social terrors are chronic, and they're more tied to systemic injustices. So when I talk about girls and women being relationally or socially terrorized, what I'm saying is there, we are often almost always socialized to hate ourselves and harm ourselves and each other. And that's what it means to be terrorized. It's a chronic, ongoing, systemic, um, broad-based sense of suffering that is continual unless interruption, whereas a pain point is something that can be isolated and studied. And it's not, it doesn't live in isolation, but it can be isolated to be deeply understood. And it's something that, um, it's a flash it's a flash of pain. So I know pain patterns in um, women. I've been able to identify pain patterns on these flashes and pulsations of acute um, discomforts. Um, And then, but a terror, a web of terrors are, are linked to a system of, um, of suffering. You have a powerful paragraph in your book where you write a warped lover identity one ruled by unmediated terrors, not only disables the formation of social, sexual, and romantic relationships, it disables familial, filio, and communal relationships as well. Such disability 
disabilities undercut social and emotional justice work and activism because they stunt compassion, empathy, and altruism at their core. We, we just got past um, the women's marches yesterday, and there's such a rise up for women right now. As someone that has done this level of research and has this understanding of how different types of terrors and different events in our world affect us in how we then approach any type of change. Talk a little bit about that statement, such disabilities undercut social and emotional justice work and activism. Are we, are we as women appropriately stepping out and standing up uh, when it comes to that justice work and activism, or is there another step that needs to be taken as we do this? Um, no, I do not believe that we are um, taking appropriate action. I don't believe that it'll have a long-term effect aligned with the goals if we don't course correct pretty soon. The women's movements that's rising up now out of Me Too and Time's Up are not intersexual en- enough um, to bear effect that we're, we're looking for and hoping for. One of the things that I say to um, activists who connect with me from all over the nation and also all over the world is that unless we have an intersectional like lens um, to our justice work, we're not going to yield the progress that we want. One of the things we can learn from my work and the work of many other um, black feminist scholars is that when we study the lived experiences and identity formation of black and brown girls and women, all women are helped because we are that much more educated about the depth of depravity and abuses and violences as they occur along multiple axes. And what that means is when white women, for example, are harassed or assaulted, when they're violated, um, um, or when they're just treated just without kindness or um, typical or common respect, we can understand the ways that gender norms in a patriarchal society are in play, but when we understand how black and brown girls and women are um, affected by those same harassments and violences, we get to understand not only the gender nuances, but also the racialized nuances. Um, And as we intersect more identity markers um, and compound our understanding, we just get smarter. We get smarter and smarter and smarter about how um, toxic masculinity and a hyper-patriarchal view actually function on the ground. Um, and if we leave out our intersectional lens, our justice movements are just not as strong as they could be. You have a paragraph later in the book where you where you write, finally we determined that we did not need to be exactly like our sisters in order to read the stories of their literate lives and relate our own stories. We hoped, for the sake of inquiry, recognitions of what is real the location evolution of epistemology and ontology and arrivals at various revelations about love and terror, we might be allowed to explore some alignments and stand in earnest regard within cruces. So this is what you're talking about is, and and it takes me to that statement. I'm not my sister's keeper. I am my sister. And it is, it is that real acknowledgement and understanding and listening that has to take place because there is a wisdom in the stories that have come before us to help us know the steps to take in front of us. Yes? Right. Absolutely. And, you know, that paragraph that you just read, it was my negotiation. that I really felt troubled. I felt um, vexed in my soul um, as a scholar when I 
knew that I needed to cross a path and juxtapose the lived experiences with the black and brown women that I was working with in Philadelphia um, and the black and brown women, you know, from across the ocean in, in sub-Saharan Africa and the Middle East. My struggle was how can I say these experiences are the same when they're not? Our socioeconomic um, ranking is different. Our religious affiliation is different. Um, the degree of patriarchal rule that we live under is different. And that paragraph is basically me resigning to myself, giving myself the permission to say, I'm looking for alignments along multiple axes of identity, um, and I want to form alignments um, with all of my humility in check. And so when I bring it to the United States, for example, or a European space, maybe, um, what I mean to say is that in order for our social justice movements to make sense, in order for them to have high impact, they must be inclusive. They must be inclusive of the lived experiences of girls and women from multiple backgrounds, from multiple um, identities, um, in order to be fully informed. Otherwise, we will be recurring and reliving these same justice movements 50 years from now. It's the same way we're living right now in the United States of America as if it was 1964 in some areas. Um, those patterns com continue to repeat if we are not careful to make our social justice really, really informed by emotional justice and very, very intersectional in scope. You have a paragraph that talks a little bit about terror being transportable and transferable, like a multifaceted thing that can be passed from one human being to another, inching slowly toward manifestations of terror. And this is something that provoked you. Are we each, whether we're white, black, pink, or brown, are we each playing a role in this transference of, of terror from one human being to another? And if so, how is that being done by our our actions or by our complacency or both? Talk a little bit about that. The answer is yes, and the answer is both. Um, so regardless of racial or gender or economic or religious or orientation um, background, we are passing along relational and social terrors um, from one person to the next. Those are happening on multiple planes those um, transferences are happening um, emotionally when our interior life, which is filled with fragmented parts, are not hailed, are not ordered, and are not in membership in concert with one another. Us actually knowing all aspects of ourselves, we tend to pass along a terror just by meditating on a suffered wrong, um, just by chewing on an injustice um, and not understanding at all how to digest it, how to appropriate it. That's one level. Um, when we lash out at each other without um, clear and structured narratives to order our communications, um, to inform ourselves, to practice communications, that's another way to transfer the terror. Um, when we do um, physical violence with one another, um, hit or hurt one another, pinch or slap one another, um, people, are, people are spit on, people are shot. Um, people are raped. There are all kinds of ways we do physical injustices. Those are passing along big T terrors relationally and socially. Um, and so there are just multiple ways that we do damage. Um, it all comes out of a person who is diseased, disordered, and dismembered. 
from the inside out. To cultivate a supreme lover identity means to know the iterations of oneself in fragments, to really dig them out, hear their voices, learn their stories, and the revelations they contribute to the center, to the whole of oneself. It means to then choose from both the most divine and base aspects of self, ways to access, engage with, and learn from those voices and stories on a daily basis. It means learning methods for respectfully being with ourselves and all that we know as real. This is from the book, The Revelations of Asher, by Dr. Janine Staples. She is an associate professor of literacy and language, African-American studies, and women's gender and sexuality studies at the Pennsylvania State University. She is a scholar, educator, speaker, and coach. You can find out more at janinestaples.com. We'll be right back after these messages. up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have you seen 1111? Do you wonder why certain numbers keep showing up in your life? 11, 111, 22, 33, 444. People all over the world are seeing 1111 and learning the language of universal communication. Subscribe to 1111 Magazine today, 1111mag.com. 1111 Magazine is a bi-monthly online publication that offers a rich, multi-sensory experience. Engage with experts in topics of consciousness. Become enlightened, empowered, and energized so you live a passionate and authentic life of conscious choices. 1111 Magazine, a daily staple for lifting the mindset, expanding the heart, and experiencing greater aliveness. 1111 Magazine, Order now at www.1111mag.com. 1111mag.com. Are you an artist, healer, teacher, author, speaker, or coach? A wellness or holistic practitioner or energy worker? Maybe you want to be. Do you desire to serve the world, share your gifts, live your dreams? I am Simran, host of 1111 Talk Radio, and I invite you to the vision of oneness. Could you use a community of support, more financial flow with less effort? Would you like to receive so you have more to give? Be a world changer, world server, do-gooder. Be a new paradigm thinker and a conscious change agent. A part of a growing community creating collective streams of prosperity and wellness. By simply serving yourself, you serve others. Feel great, have more energy, sleep better, gently detox. Lose unhealthy weight and build strength. It's time for more freedom and financial flow. The vision of oneness embodies unconditional giving, commitment, simplicity, and receiving. We are a collective new way of being in commerce and creative cash flow. Learn more at thevisionofoneness.com. Register now and a member will help you begin today. Visionofoneness.com. Live up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. You are listening to 1111 Talk Radio. Simron is an award-winning author, publisher of 1111 Magazine, powerful speaker of wisdom, and a life mentor. Find out more at imsimron.com. 
Now, back to 1111 Talk Radio. Before I get back to my guest, I want to invite you to explore my own books, Conversations with the Universe, that touches on signs, symbols, and synchronicity, and how the world is constantly speaking to you about you. My second book, Your Journey to Enlightenment, talks about how we are conditioned and are in places of conformity, and in stepping out of that, we live lives of courage. The way to do that is to step into the innocence, wonder, and creativity of the child. And my third book, Your Journey to Love, is about the deep, heartfelt, emotional work that must be done to unite the shadow and the light within, to understand that they are both to be embraced, to really find your ultimate true soulmate, which is you. So definitely check out my own books as you move forward. I'm going to read another passage from Dr. Janine Staples' wonderful book, The Revelations of Asher. The longing to connect, understand, and love can be understood in the way Dr. Janine's Participants, seven fragmented selves conjoined to manifest five toxic reactionary lover identities. They are main chick, one who is considered to be a man's official, number one girlfriend, wife, or partner, side chick, or a side piece, the jump off, the mistress. Number three is the Bonnie, the one who is loyal to the death and also resourceful in her own right. Number four is the bitch. A belligerent, malicious, aggressive, sometimes fuming individual. And number five, the victim. A person who is perpetually mistreated and abused as a result of toxicities doled out by or through another person's deceit, infidelity, and violence. Janine illuminates and calls into question these lover identities. She draws attention to the elusive roots of their existence, and she explores the socio-emotional and socio-cultural impacts they exact not only on women, but also multiple others and various communities. Again, you can find out more about Dr. Janine Staples, her events, her coaching, speaking, educational work, and so much more at her website, janinestaples.com. Welcome back, Janine. We were talking a bit about how terror can be transferred and how we each play a role in that in our own ways uh, by, not, by not finding these identities within ourselves. You pose a question in the book that would have been my next question, and that is, is cultivating healthy romantic relationships a real way to stave off terrorism and interrupt terrorism? Talk a little bit about how moving into partnership and relationship differently can support a transformation in what we see going forward? Um, What I do in the book is I advocate for a woman to come into relationship with herself. Um, I feel very hesitant. Um, I did write a happy ending to the book. However, I feel very hesitant about giving any sort of perspective on romantic relationships directly. The idea is for a woman to come to know herself in all of her glory, in all aspects of herself that are speaking to center, and then operate from that center um, with the divine consciousness, which is a supreme lover identity, um, to make sense of that center. Um, what I say is that cultivating a supreme lover identity means doing radical inclusion of all fragmented, disowned orphan parts of self, and there's a way of falling in love with yourself that's unlike anything I've ever seen, um, and unlike anything that anyone's mother or grandmother might be able to teach. I'm not really sure. I mean, probably somewhere in the world, but I haven't seen it as common. Um, So I hope I'm answering the question. What I would like to convey is that um, 
the toxic reactionary lover identities that I talk about and that you just read through are typical archetypical formations that are observed in and through the exterior lives of women. Um, and what I'm saying is that there's a way to grow up our consciousness to understand um, the possibilities of lover identity in a much more dynamic and inclusive way. Wonderful. And it all does point back to the self and, and how we become more aware of who we are being, how we are being, and how we are approaching the world. But it does take that real look at the self that you're talking about and reporting right now. Uh, there's a, a paragraph in here where you talk about the actual individuals that, that commit the terror. And um, again, you, you pose a couple of really good questions at the end that I'm going to pose back to you to respond to verbally. I know they're in the book, but I'm going to have you respond to them verbally. I'll not naively argue that terrorist acts we see in the world can be killed with kindness, but I'll bet the perpetrators of terror felt unseen, unloved, disrespected, inadequate, unworthy, and out of control at some critical early point in their lifetime. Perhaps that feeling took root, got stronger and bigger. Maybe it then spread over a long, long period of time in the context of various relationships, setting up cycles of terror that ranged from everyday miscommunications that triggered an unreconciled sense of abandonment to outright verbal and physical abuses. If such terrors were entangled with, antagonized by, or contextualized within a sociopolitical regime, of control and abuse, and also exacerbated by poverty and lawlessness, terror was bound to ensue. Such an idea, had you wonder, what types of human relationships contribute to terror? What types of human relationships contribute to peace? And I know the women that you interviewed, they had uh, an array of experiences they went through that had them have the stories that they had. So bring to light some of what you feel like the types of human relationships are that will contribute to terror and which ones will contribute to peace? That's a great question. Um, I'm reminded of uh, Dr. Maya Angelou, who's um, my soror, and she quoted Terrence throughout the last 10 years of her life, um, who was a Roman playwright. And um, he had a famous quote, that speaks like, how did it go? Homo sum humani nihil a mi alinum puto, which means I am human, and therefore nothing of which is human is alien to me. Um, and when I wrote that passage that you just read, Simran, I was thinking about parents. I was thinking about Dr. Maya Angelou. I was thinking about um, how it is that terrorists that are featured in news articles um, are made and how they are built. And what we're doing often is we're seeing the final result of a lifetime of relational and social terrors that have accumulated in a human soul and in a human soma um, and exacerbated a lover identity that is just a void of compassion and reason and hope. Um, such that lives can be snuffed out easily. And what I was doing in the book was attempting to align myself and the participants that I work with for two years with terrorists. I was intentionally saying, how are we like the people that we mock or the people that we vilify? How are we connected? If 
the quantum law of oneness is true, then there cannot be separation. I need to find myself in my brother and in my sister and extend myself so that they may find themselves in me. So the way that relational and social terrors work is they operate on a continuum such that the little t terrors in relational um, and social strata of lived experiences actually um, consolidate. They accumulate and consolidate and grow up, as it were, into big t terrors. Big t terrors are explosive. They um, erupt onto the skin. They are noticeable. We can observe them. A big T terror in a social or relational realm is something you can file a police report about. Um, And so the distraction is that we pay attention to the big T terrors because they are so bloody and they are about broken bones and fractured skulls. They are about, you know, ripped wounds and rapes and all kinds of batteries and violences. What I'm saying is that because we are so connected, we can trace those terrors back, 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 back to their onset and their beginning and notice them as they began to bud in little t-terrors. Little t-terrors really accumulate in the soul. They are about emotional neglect. They are about verbal abuse. They are about dismissal, disrespects. They are microaggressive in nature. They're often unseen. They're very difficult to prove. The, um burden of proof is usually on the quote-unquote victim of a little T-terror. And because they're so insidious and so um, covert, they can accumulate for years, years and years and years and years. A person can feel small and dismissed and slighted um, and rejected and abandoned in small, microaggressive ways over and over and over and over again for years before they grow up and evolve and compact and compound into big T-terrors. And so what I'm saying in the book is that a way to perpetuate relational and social terrors is to be unconscious. If one is unconscious and not aware of their interior life, and she's not aware of how her exterior life is a mirror for her interior life, a woman or a girl can just exacerbate little t-terrors all over the place. Um, The same is true for a boy or a man. The same is true for a transgender person. It's really true for any human being. Um, On the opposite end of that, what we know... Um, can actually contribute to peace and can mediate those terrors um, is a really intense project, a liberation project that is anchored in radical inclusion, in radical honesty, um, and that is brokered by a midwife, as it were, um, a facilitator of processes who knows the way, who knows, and there are probably multiple ways, but the way I know is to cultivate a supreme lover identity, and that is a way to put little T-terrors in their place, appropriate them, um, develop new meanings around them, and install new memories in the somatic space so that they have less and less and less a chance of accumulation and compounding to explosion. I hope that answered your question. That is perfect. In the work of deliverance, health, wholeness, salvation, justice, and truthful unifying intimacies for all humankind, the cultivation of a supreme lover identity can interrupt T-terror. It can cultivate new knowledge of self. This happens by illuminating through selves, voices, and stories, our realities and ways of being. It can aid the work of social and emotional justice for all humankind in very specific ways. These ways are low through darkened sensibilities. 
and high, in feminist knowledge and literal, in relation to power and speed in cultivations of new literacies, practices, and events in everyday life. Pick up Dr. Janine Staples' book, The Revelations of Asher. Find out more about her at her website, janinestaples.com, and join me next week for my guest, Anna Gatman when we talk about living a spiritual life in a material world. Until then, I am Simran, in love, of love, with love, and as love. Be well. Thank you for opening your mind to a new reality, your heart to greater compassion, and your experience of aliveness with 1111 Talk Radio. Join host Simron next Monday at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern Time to step through the gateway of conscious living here on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Remember, you are not on the journey. You are the journey. 